You're listening to Draft Chat. Episode 8. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Draft Chaff Podcast. This is episode number eight, and today we're talking about Amonkhet Remastered. It's a brand new set coming to, to Arena, and uh, kind of a bit of a flashback for those who were around a few years ago when the block originally released. I'm Zach, and with me as always is my co-host, Ben. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing pretty good, and I just want to put it out there right now. I'm going to personally count every single time we say um, or uh, or like, in the episode and then um oh shoot that was one and then i'm gonna i'm gonna make some kind of punishment for it as a, a negative motivator so that we stop saying ums and uhs and such okay what's the punishment i haven't thought about that yet i don't know maybe um oh shoot that's number two maybe i'll do something like we have to pay that much money into a like giveaway jar or something like that okay i can get on board with that like maybe that many that many cents because I feel like it's going to add up pretty quickly. I'm not comfortable going dollars on that one. I'm already yeah. down two dollars. Yeah, it probably will be quite a lot. Uh, I notice I I tend to to say us and ums quite a bit. So, but that could be good motivation for us. We'll see. Yeah, I think it will be. I think with this conscious and I, I didn't tell Zach about this beforehand. No, this is completely off listeners. the cuff. I think that with this motivation, well, we'll see what we can do. Okay. Yeah, so along those lines, we have our Patreon. And if you're interested in that, if you're interested <laughs> in, in supporting the show, you can check that out over at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. We're putting all the proceeds that come from the Patreon back into the community, so we're hoping to get together some giveaways, perhaps even a full giveaway of the Draft Chaff Cube when that's ready. We have a few things in mind, but the first goal right now is up, and uh, we're trying to support few different uh tiers so if you're into that go ahead over there and give us some support and if you're not maybe let us know on twitter what you would like to see there to make that enticing for you so i counted five in, in yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway let's get into our, our crack a draft type thing which is now our totally official name for what we're calling this right yeah i think so sweet so uh, for those that aren't familiar with these cards, we are going to be going through every single one. How long ago was it since we had Amonkhet an hour? It's been like two years or so, right? I think it was two years. And yeah, so I don't know if we mentioned it yet, but this crack draft type thing is Amonkhet Remastered. Yeah, right. Our first card is Wander and Death. This is two and a black for a sorcery. Return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand, cycling two. So this has some you know, uses in the set. Cycling in this set is very different than it was in Ikoria. It's not full of just one mana generic cyclers that you can toss in any deck just to fill out. And, you know, you're not first picking things like that. But it's still a fine card. Yeah, for sure. The cycling theme for any Ikoria drafters might immediately seem like the most powerful. It's really not. It's There, there isn't even really a full deck for the archetype, like, dedicated to cycling. Like there was in Ikoria, you will have incidental cycling cards in, in pretty much every deck. It does tend to be centralized around the blue and black cards, but you can get them in just about every color. Here with Wandering Death, I think overall it's a, it's a decent card, but I don't know, maybe like C minus level. It does bring the creatures to your hand and not to the battlefield. And it is from your graveyard and not any graveyard, 
but the cycling two means you can just toss it away whenever it's not relevant so it's a fine playable i wouldn't be looking to first pick it though yeah so something interesting that, that you just kind of made me think of in ikoria cycling added this fascinating layer of consistency and deck building to the aggro decks because red white was kind of the cycling payoff with zenith flare and, and foxes and whatnot in ikoria it, it was kind of married to the aggro strategy whereas in amonkhet Cycling was more of a slower late game thing. Our next card is actually Greater Sandworm, which people might recognize from Ikoria. Five green green, seven seven worm. Can't be blocked by creatures of power two or less with cycling too. So instead here we see cycling on kind of the slower, more grindy cards. The aggro decks in Amonkhet were sometimes fast enough to force out cycling as a strategy. We're going to get into some of the best commons later in the episode, but stuff like a two mana two two, would probably just be better than a decent late game card, even if it did have cycling sometimes. Yeah, and in this case we have, like you said, cards like Greater Sandworm, where you have these big beefy creatures or very expensive spell effects, and they have cycling tacked onto them to essentially give you an out if you draw them early. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Greater Sandworm was not great in Amonkhet, but we'll see if this time around the format slows down a little bit in comparison. That kind of is the interesting thing here with this new format, right? It's not exactly Amonkhet, it's not exactly Hour of Devastation, Mm -hmm. and in some ways it's not even really the combination of the two. They Mm -hmm. bolstered some of the archetypes in Amonkhet, but they also weakened some of them. Not to mention the presence of things like Thoughtseize and... (laughs) Right, well yeah, that's an entirely different thing too. They, They added in a couple of cards that didn't exist in that block, so... Next up, we've got Oashra Cultivator. This is one green for a 0-3 human druid. You can pay two and a green, tap it, sack it, search your library for a basic land that comes in tapped. Now, this was pretty bad from what I remember. Well, it wasn't great. Sometimes a bigger ramp strategy won in one of these, but it just didn't really do anything on the ground against aggro anyway. Yeah, occasionally the five color green decks would want to run maybe one of them just to get access to extra land or extra colors. But it's an expensive effect, and even though it's a one-drop, paying three mana and getting rid of your creature to just go grab a basic land that comes in tapped isn't really what you want to be doing in this format. Yeah, it's a little too slow. Next up, we've got Seeker of Insight, one of the blue for a 1-3 human wizard. Tap to draw a card, then discard a card. Activate this only if you've cast a non-creature spell this turn. Remember, this was maybe C, C-, minus, but a little bit slow. Now, think of how this kind of plays out, right? If you want to do something like loot on your turn for some kind of payoff or effect, you have to be casting your non-creature spell this turn, too. So this really limits the usefulness of this card, uh, especially when you're doing things like including non-creature spells that are kill spells, which kind of makes this very weirdly timed. Yeah, I'm say you want to kill. Yeah, say you want to point a kill spell at an attacking creature or a, a creature before combat on your opponent's turn. Um, well, no, actually, I guess then you wouldn't have to do this right away. You could do this at the end of turn still, but I, I think the timing restrictions with this just made it not as good as it seemed. Plus, it's just a 2-mana 1-3. It's, it's not doing too much anyway. Playable, but not a first pick. Right now, I'm probably on the Sandworm, but not happy about it. Yeah, I agree. Next up, we've got Thresher Lizard. This is two and a red for a three, two, and it gets plus one, plus two, as long as you have one or fewer cards in hand. So do you remember back in Ravnica, there was that mechanic hellbent mm-hmm. for the Rakdos? 
Well, uh, in Amonkhet, for those that don't know the lore, before Bolas came and you know messed the place up, there was this big shield called the Hekma. So this became known as Hekbent, where you have one or fewer cards in hand instead of just zero cards in hand. So this has Hekbent, in a way. Uh, it's a payoff for dumping your hand, which you limited players might know isn't always a great idea. Yeah, it isn't really where you want to be. You know, you don't want your hand to be completely empty. But as we're going to get to, some of these aggressive decks tend to empty their hand pretty quickly. So cards like Thresher Lizard actually aren't necessarily that bad. And in fact, I think Thresher Lizard is actually pretty decent in like the red-white aggro strategies. Yeah, I think this is one of the best payoffs. A 3-mana 4-4 is pretty good. You just have to consider that this requires you to play stuff out before combat, for example, if you want to attack in with it as a you know pumped guy. And also, this wouldn't pair super well in every strategy. Maybe not blue-red, where you're trying to keep cards in your hand. Yeah, at worst, it's a 3-mana three 3-2. Three, at best, it's a 3-mana four 4-4. Four, and that's still... Like, vanilla 4-4 four, four is not great. Um, but it's certainly playable here and probably the pick at this point. Yeah, I'd agree. Although, I would take the next card over it. This is Solitary Camel. This is 2 and a white for a 3-2. It has lifelink as long as you control a desert or there is a desert in your graveyard. So deserts. Amonkhet, it's Egyptian. We've got deserts. Deserts are sweet. So there's a bunch of them. Some of them are colorless or there's a cycle of colored ones that you do different things when you sacrifice deserts. There's also the common cycle of, well, cycling deserts. They enter the battle tapped. They cycle for one and their color of mana. So deserts played a very interesting role in the original Amonkhet and Hour, where they started out as being like, okay. And then once people realized that they often came down to top decking in the late game, the person that drew their desert to cycle it into a threat would often just win the game. So deserts shot way up, especially with all these payoffs. Three mana, three, two lifelink. Yeah, every white deck is going to want one of those, maybe even multiples. That's usually going to be C+. Combines very well with all the pump effects. And in Amonkhet, it was a very aggressive format. So being able to gain a little bit of life here and there, it actually could impact the game. Yeah, the 3-2 stat line is something we're going to see a bit in the remainder of the set. And 3 power is pretty important in this format. It's still kind of hard to tell if it's going to be as quick as Amonkhet was. A lot of people are going to remember original Amonkhet was a attack first block never kind of format and so <laughs> the aggressively statted units are, are a bit more of a premium in this format it's hard to see hard to say ra rather exactly where this one lines up being a, a sort of a combination of the two but a 3-2 with lifelink is great and you're going to pick up deserts where you can so it's pretty much always going to be a 3-2 with lifelink yeah deserts are super high picks in this set so next up we've got compelling argument this is one of the blue for a sorcery Target player, Mills. Wow, it even says Mills in the cards now. That's sweet. Mills, five cards. Cycling blue. Now, this is not really where you want to be. I could see some blue-red spells deck that really cares about having spells in the graveyard doing this. There is one corner case where this is playable. That's with Approach of the Second Sons, but uh, <laughs> you're getting pretty lucky if you've got that. Approach of the Second Sons, of course, seven mana. If you cast it from your hand, it goes seventh from the top in your library. And then if you cast it again, you win the game. It has text that explains all that in more words, but that's essentially the gist of it. And if you can get rid of a bunch of those cards to make that you know, C series go faster, 
by, say, milling five of those cards away, then you don't have to wait seven turns. You just have to wait a few. Oh, it also gains you seven life, so you do have, have some time to, to mess around. But besides that, I don't think anyone's interested in this. There's no dedicated mill deck. Yeah, it's not a very compelling argument. <laughs> anyway, next up, we've got Takrop Elite. This is three and a white, flying 2-2 two -two bird warrior. You may exert Takrop Elite as it attacks. When you do, creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. So exert. We haven't seen this before. So exerting means it's just a thing that happens to a, a creature, or maybe a permanent. I think only creatures exert. Now, when a thing exerts, it doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. It can still be untapped in other ways. You exert it as it attacks, and then it has some kind of special effect. So it, it can also attack normally. That's perfectly fine. But exert is a very cool and very aggressive mechanic. And it's one of the things that led original Amonkhet to be so fast. This card ended many games in original Amonkhet. When you had something like red-white aggro curving out two-drop, three-drop, this thing, well, then you can attack in with your 2-2 two -two flyer for a few turns, and then as soon as they play maybe a 2-3 or a 3-3 three -three that starts to threaten your board, to kind of jump in the way of your 2-2s, two well, then you just exert this. You don't really care about taking a turn off because you're getting in for three in the air with this, and then swinging with a huge ground board afterwards. This thing is pretty good at closing out games. Yeah, you do need that board state for Takarop Elite to actually get work done from the exert perspective. You have to remember, basically, if you're going to exert a creature, you get to attack with it once, it exerts, it takes a turn off because it can untap that next turn, and then the turn after that, it gets to do its thing again. So if you exert this and you have no other creatures, it does buff itself, if I'm reading mm -hmm. that correctly. So yeah. basically what will happen is over the course of three turns, Takarop Elite, when exerted by it and only by itself, if you have no other creatures it'll deal five points of damage total. If you don't exert it and you have no other creatures, it'll deal six over three turns. So you kind of need to run the numbers on that and make sure that you have anything else, basically, on the field when you're <laughs> when you're exerting this, but Takropoli is fantastic. Wow, this is statistics chaff podcast now. Look at this. <laughs> Ooh, next up, we've got a desert. We've got Desert of the Fervent. This is the red desert. I mentioned earlier, it's land with subtype desert. Enters the battlefield tapped, tap to add a red, or cycling one in a red. So this is one of the best enablers in the set. As I mentioned before, deserts allow you to do all sorts of stuff. And the red one's pretty important because this gives you access to one of the key uncommons in the set, which is Sand Strangler. It's kind of like a flame tongue Kavu, ETB kill a thing effect, Necrotol, Chupacabra. In red, you can pick one of this, and I think this is probably my pick right now. Wow, really? Okay, I, I don't know if I'm, you know, I'm not sure. I suppose the common lands, uh, the common desert cycle is first pickable. They are powerful. I just feel bad kind of first picking a more or less vanilla land. But I do have to this say... This is not a vanilla land. It's the opposite of that. <laughs> I, okay, this is true. It feels like a vanilla land though, right? All it does when it's mm -hmm. on the field is tap to add red. Yeah. One thing I have to say, though, is I do absolutely love the design of these deserts. Every card in the format that benefits from having a desert in field also benefits from having a desert in your graveyard. So mm, the cycling yeah. thing, you never have to feel bad cycling away a desert and then drawing your, your desert payoff or whatever. Next up, we've got Brute Strength. This is one in a red instant. Target creature gets plus three plus one and gets trample. I... I barely even remember this. Was it even in the old sets? <laughs> like, I don't remember it having a good impact here. I don't think we're going to take this. Yeah, probably not. It can be good, I guess, in the aggressive decks, but there are just better things to be doing. 
Yeah, three one can't punch through some walls. That's well, tramples get... trample matters a lot here. Yeah, yeah, if it was target creature gets plus three plus one, you're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, maybe this will be playable. I'm very interested to see what the speed of this format ends up being. Like we were just saying, hour was a very slow format. We could do a lot. Amonkhet was more aggressive. I have a feeling it's going to fall in between, and I think it's going to fall more on the aggressive end. But anyway, that's all for our commons. Let's get into our uncommons. First one, we've got a sweet one. This is Lord of the Accursed. This is two and a black for a two, three zombie. Other zombies get plus one, plus one. Pay one black tap. All zombies gain menace until end of turn. So this is a zombie payoff. Pretty sweet. Now, uh, obviously, this is a tribal card. You want a good number of zombies. And this fits pretty well into all black decks because they have a natural affinity for zombies. But turns out there's a lot of other colors that have zombies in the set, thanks to Eternalize and Embalm. So incidentally, you could maybe put this in a white-black deck, which we have a bunch of zombies because those are kind of the zombie colors. Or maybe a, say, blue-black deck where blue has a good number of embalm and eternalized creatures, then they come back, they're zombies, they're pumped. I think you probably want at least three or four creatures to get buffed before you want to put this in your deck, though. It's not too great on its own. Yeah, it's certainly a zombie payoff, but you probably should pick up enablers before you you take Lord of the Accursed. So you'd be looking to pick up other zombies before you, you pick this card. I don't think I would want to first pick it. Yeah, it's a little bit of a narrow first pick. I, I definitely think we want better things, and our next uncommon certainly is better. We've got a trial. So this is Trial of Zeal. This is two and a red for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, it deals three to any target. And when a cartouche enters the battlefield under your control, returns Trial of Zeal to its owner's hand. Trials, cartouches, what's going on here? Yeah, so the trials are a cycle of enchantments. There is one in every color. And they all do some effect when they enter the battlefield. In this case, it's deal three damage to any target. They also all have a clause in them that says when a cartouche enters the battlefield under your control, return it to its owner's hand. Return the trial to its owner's hand. Cartouches are another cycle of enchantments, but those are auras that attach to creatures and also all do different effects. Mm -hmm. Kind of the trials of the gods type flavor, which is pretty sweet in my opinion. And this is a first pickable card. This is three mana for three damage to any target. I think that's fine just on its own. I'm, I'm first picking that over everything else in the pack. And then when you staple on the idea that if I'm able to pick up a cartouche later on, which is a common, so I'm starting with the, the hard part, now I can pick up as many cartouches as I want to potentially rebuy this trial, this removal spell, two, three times, not too unreasonable. And... For obvious reasons, getting to rebuy deal three to any target multiple times, that's a good way to win a game of limited. Although, Ben, that that's just three times as expensive as a lightning bolt, so Yeah, I guess that was kind of the theme for this set. There's a, a common that's not in this pack, but open fire, two in a red for deal three to any target at instant speed. I remember the outrage when that got spoiled. People are losing their minds. Like, what happened to lightning bolt? What even happened to Lightning Strike? <laughs> now yeah. we're paying three for three damage. Next up, we've got Battlefield Scavenger. This is one of the red for a 2-2 Jackal Rogue. You can exert it as it attacks. And whenever you exert a creature, you can discard a card. If you do, draw a card. So this one doesn't actually have an effect by itself when you exert it. Just a 2-2 two -two for two. It's a little bear. It gets in. But you can choose to exert it. And then whenever any of your creatures exert, you get to rummage. That's fine effect. Yeah, especially when you consider red tends to run out of cards relatively quickly and has a harder time refilling your hand. It's a solid effect, and it's one of the few exert creatures that give all of your 
exert creatures extra ba- uh, extra bonuses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see picking this up maybe third or fourth pick. It's a decent reason to be in red. It'll help filter your draw early if you're worried about missing land drops or if you're starting the flood out early. This improves your consistency just a little bit. Finally, we've got our rare here. We've got Champion of Ronus. This is three and a green for a 3-3 Jackal Warrior. You may exert Champion of Ronus as it attacks. When you do, you may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. Oof. This is like a, like a sneak attack type thing. Well, I mean, not, not exactly. Yeah, you, you d- certainly will see this coming uh, from the other side of the table, but it's a powerful effect. You get to cheat in your greater sandworms. You get to cheat in any of your big creatures, really. And there are a number of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is definitely conditional. You, you don't want to be playing this in your white-green deck where this is the top end and you're cheating in, say, a 2-mana two 2-2. Two, two. That doesn't really do much for you. But if you're, say, in blue-green or red-green where you have these big, I don't know, 7-7s seven that you could hope to buy time to cast or ramp into casting, then this just kind of allows an extra little way to get it in early. And like Zach mentioned, greater sandworms at common. There's a bunch of other big bombs, too. I... Don't know what the pick is here. What, what do you think? Are you taking champion or the trial? Part of me wants to take champion just because it's the rare and it it's not a bad one. Mm-hmm. I think the trial is actually the correct pick here because red is one of the better colors in general. It also has the most removal and it's a recursive effect. Champion of Ronis also is a recursive effect, but you have to take a turn off to use it. And that creature that you that you're taking the turn off to to play for free really has to be enough to catch up that that turn you're taking off. Now, mm-hmm. taking a champion first pick certainly lets you build up to that. You can prioritize creatures that would be beneficial for for Ronus to or champion of Ronus to bring into play. So I can't really fault you for taking the champion, but I think I would be on trial. Yeah, it, it's tough. I think Trial of Zeal is the the strongest card in the pack. But Notably, we are passing a bunch of other decent red cards. Battlefield Scavenger, Desert of the Fervent, Thresher Lizard. If the person to our left happens to pick up a red card from the first pack and they just snap off the desert, then we find ourselves pretty cut in pack two, you know? I well, think true. if we take the champion here... Let's be honest, if this was the first pack I opened of Amonkhet Restored, I'm taking the champion. Even though I know it's probably correct to take the trial, and I don't usually put too much stock in thinking about what's going to wheel and what's not on Arena, because... The, the skill variance is all over the place with human drafting in Arena. You never know who's prioritizing what. Someone could open this pack and go, ooh, Oashra Cultivator? That sounds like a fun thing to do, and just go into that. I think I would probably take the champion here, just because it's kind of fun. Well, I think, I think there's something to be said there about the colors you're passing. You know, you're taking the champion, you're passing an Oashra Cultivator and a Greater Sandworm in, in green and nothing else. That mm-hmm. doesn't tell you a whole lot, as, as the person sitting to your right or left you're not picking up a whole lot. Washer Cultivator and Greater Sandworm are not first pickable cards. They're not second pickable cards. So I yeah. think Champion actually is correct from that perspective for sure. Yeah. Like, comment, and subscribe if oh you my think Champion gosh. is correct. Anyway, let's get in our next section. Yeah, so let's cruise through these Teferi Tibbles. Yeah. My, my Teferi, and for those who don't know, this is kind of our what went well, what went poorly this past week. So for me, my Teferi was that I ran a solid 7-2 event in Premier Draft on Magic Arena. Uh, I had a, a green-black Sapperling deck in Dominaria Draft, my favorite archetype. And if you guys checked out our Dominaria flash or uh, format rewind episode, uh, you heard me say that as well there. But I had an amazing Game 7 
where I was playing against a Jund opponent. They started out with a turn three Slimefoot into a turn four Thalid Omnivore, and I was just thinking to myself, <laughs> how am I supposed to survive this? There's not a lot of games where you walk out victorious from that, that kind of start. And frankly, that was my game plan as well. I also had a Slimefoot, and I had three Thalid Omnivores in my deck. So my That's goal was sweet. to make as many Sapperlings as I could and do the sacking thing. So mm-hmm. I knew I was in for a grind fest. Later on, they I got them down to seven life, and they managed to kick a Croson Druid and brought themselves back up to 17. <laughs> and then, yeah. on top of that, the turn after they kicked the Croson Druid, they played a... Um, oh, the name escapes me now, but it's the Black Land that has the ability where you can pay mana, tap, and sack it to get a creature back from your graveyard. Oh, yeah, Memorial. Is it Memorial? Yeah, Folly, yeah. maybe? That's the one. So I'm just sitting there thinking, well, he's just going to kick his Croson Druid again after I kill it. <laughs> Go up to, like, 27. <laughs> Yeah, well, I managed to kill it and bring him down to, like, eight or so. And the whole time I'm worried he's going to bring this back, and he never did. I just was oh, able to... I outgrinded him. I don't think he ever used that memorial. Hmm, just kind of forgot it was there. Yeah. Anyway, okay. my, my tibble is that I'm missing the first part of the Flyers playoff round one, game one, to record this podcast. So. <laughs> yeah, I, the Flyers are on fire right now. I'm really excited about this game. Yeah, what's the score right now? Oh, I don't know. I'm recording this podcast so i'm not paying attention to the wow game. Look, look at this guy go he cares so much <laughs> this is the kind of devotion you can expect from from good podcast hosts <laughs> well, what about you what happened this week well let's see so my, my tibble was uh <laughs> it was actually in a game of standard which i know the, the the s word we don't like to talk about that on you know draft chat we, we like we like the nonsense here but uh, i was playing teamer clover which is one of my favorite decks that's playable now that Three fairy is gone. I love playing with a wish board with Fave Wishes. It's so much fun. I was playing against some Uro ramp nonsense, and my opponent was clearly about to get their Uro back from the graveyard. That was all that they had. I'd taken care of everything else on board. So they're down to just Uro. And I wasn't really paying too much attention. I was like half on my phone, half playing the game. I know I'm playing ranked pretty, pretty loosely, but so I go to my wish board and I'm like, all right. One of the coolest things you can do with a wishboard is prevent your opponent from wanting to do anything, especially when you copy it. So I cast my Fae Wishes into uh, a Clover, which lets me get two things from my sideboard instead. So I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll get like a, a removal spell for the next big threat and then something to keep them from wanting to play Uro. Oh, I know, I'll take Mass Manipulation. It was kind of late game. I was thinking if they top deck something, now they they might only play one threat out or maybe they'll not play... like flashback the Uro because they don't want to just get it stolen so that I start getting all the value from it. I got them and I passed the turn and my opponent very visually, you know, you can kind of see where the cursor goes in arena, how it kind of like mm-hmm. highlights over the cards. They very slowly mouse over each of my lands and I, I look down and I notice, oh, wait a minute. I only have two blue sources. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I, I see my opponent like look at my lands stop for a second and then just cast euro right into my <laughs> my manipulation I, I i ended up losing that game as one does when they punt shout anyway. out to that opponent for totally rubbing your face in that oh they, they wanted move. me to know they they <laughs> they wanted me to know and i i had it coming too my teferi for this week my brother got married that was pretty cool uh, i was yeah. the best man it was a, a very nice time it was a socially distanced wedding we all had matching masks for our, our groomsmen outfits it was, it was a good time see other good stuff this week i got a new mic so hopefully my audio quality is a little bit better right now 
and my internet finally got turned on with my apartment. And most notably, we passed 300 downloads. Yeah, that's a big achievement for us. Thanks to everybody who's listening and continues to listen. That's really, really awesome. And we're hoping to bring some really cool new things to the cast in the coming few weeks. All right, let's kick it in to Overdrive here. We spent a long time on that crack a draft type thing. So this <laughs> week is crack a draft. It was, it was. We got some good conversation out of that. But this week, we're talking all about Amonkhet Remastered. It's a new set, as we said, uh, comprised of cards from both Amonkhet and Hour of Devastation. These were two sets that came out roughly two-ish years ago, maybe a little longer. Amonkhet block was last available before Watsi moved to the one set per block model. Nowadays, we have one set, you draft that set, you move on to the next set, and you draft that set. A few years ago, you would draft one set. In this case, it was Amonkhet. Then the second set of the block would come out, in this case, Hour of Devastation. And the Hour of Devastation draft format was not triple Hour of Devastation. It was two packs of Hour of Devastation, one pack of Amonkhet, which, as you might imagine, would lead to some weird potential situations where you're not getting the full two, three packs worth of the same cards. You couldn't open the same cards in every pack. So while it includes cards from both sets, Amonkhet Remastered is definitely not going to function just like Hour of Devastation draft. And in fact, it kind of feels like it's going to be a little bit closer to Amonkhet draft. Yeah, uh, that whole mixed like two packs of this one pack of the other it led to some interesting design experiences where the smaller sets they could put more targeted things for example a lord in it that you would then open slightly more often because you're opening from a smaller pool so it's more consistent however i I do kind of like the consistency and overall aesthetic unity that comes around with single sets of a block with this format we have most of the mechanics from both amonkhet and our devastation those include cycling, embalm, eternalize, aftermath, minus one, minus one counters, afflict, deserts as kind of a sub-theme, and also exert. Embalm, eternalize are essentially the same mechanic. Basically, any card that says embalm or eternalize on it can be cast from the graveyard. Uh, essentially, you pay whatever the, the cost is. You create a copy of that card on the battlefield, except it's a zombie of either white or black, depending on whether it's Embalm or Eternalize. Yeah, that's right. So kind of uh, like flashback for creatures. More or less. Uh, yeah. And it does get exiled, by the way. So you can no longer regrowth a, a card that you've already embalmed or Eternalized. And Aftermath is a set of cards. I think we got all of them in... Amonkhet remastered or close to all of them but essentially those are cards they're split cards so one half can be cast from your hand and the other half can only be cast from the graveyard kind of flashback with extra steps maybe and then yeah some of the more traditional things in the set more usual mechanics that we're used to seeing is counters which in this case it's minus one minus one counters which provides some interesting balance to our usual one one counter themes afflict never really got there i think they only put a few afflict cards in here and Cycling, which is evergreen and people love. So besides all, all that stuff, to, to start talking about some of the more generalizations, Amonkhet was very fast. It was dominated by good two drops, uh, strong attackers and pump spells that really punished blocking in any way, shape or form. And then on top of that, Exert was a super aggressive mechanic where if your opponent ever has a good block lined up, you just simply exert your creatures so that their good block goes to becoming a bad block. And then your pump spells get even better because your creatures are even better. It ended up making up the rule that, you know, blocking was just not allowed because you would just you'd get out, outraced, outclassed. Hour was a much slower, more mid-rangey format 
while it did still have the one pack of Amonkhet in there, you could really do whatever you want. The aggressive strategies got a little bit of a boost, and you could still kind of pull them off, but it also opened up these slow, mid-rangey, sometimes even controlly formats where you could open up your cool rares, do stupid build-arounds. Approach to the Second Sun was playable, for example. Can you imagine Approach to the Second Sun in M21? It just wouldn't work. I just don't think it'd be it'd be very good in that. It'd be among the other trash rares. I just dunk on M21 every chance I get. I did not like that set very much. Well, but luckily anyway. we have Amonkhet Remastered coming. And uh, thankfully, we also have a whole bunch of cool mythics, notably the gods, which are some of the most flavorful and impossible to deal with cards <laughs> in Limited of all time. Yeah, I was really excited when they printed these with the indestructible text again just like the theros gods that was really cool and they're super flavorful very fun uh good top-down design cards yeah so notably because of this redesign there's more mythics than there usually are per set however it hasn't affected the rarity at which mythics will appear in packs according to the information that we have right now at least so what this means is that you'll see the average mythic less often so for those that have fond memories of playing against the Scarab God, don't worry, you should see it less frequently, if, if I'm doing the math correctly. Yeah, You'll still see unless a lot of people long. are drafting the format, in which case you might see it more frequently, or at least the same. But ultimately, there are more mythics than there are chances, like, it's still a 1 in 8 chance to get a mythic, and there are more mythics than usual, so you should see an individual mythic less frequently. Mm-hmm. Then again, there are all the gods included, so I guess you'll kind of see more because in Hour and Amonkhet, there were the two different god cycles. There was like the evil, like old dread gods, and then there were the Amonkhet gods. However, uh, the rarities of rares and uncommons, I don't think have been impacted at all, right? So for those that thought Glorybringer was a little too frequent in the format, those that experienced playing against Dream Trawler in every few games... Well, I've got a surprise for you. <laughs> yeah, Glorybringer's fantastic, and there are actually more rares, I think, not by much, but there are more rares in this set than there are in the average set. In fact, there are just more cards in this set than the average set. So I would expect to see every individual card slightly less, but overall, Glorybringer's still rare, so you're going to see them. I think they could have taken this chance to upgrade it to a Mythic, which we all know it deserved. I suppose, but given that there are already so many more mythics in this set than there usually are, and they added a few extra mythics that aren't even in Amonkhet block, I mm, guess they didn't, yeah. have, they didn't feel they had the room. I guess that's true. So a few last-minute notes. They did add a bunch of other cards into here, ones that they kind of wanted to inject directly into Historic. Some things like Anger of the Gods, Thoughtseize, uh, Hornet Queen, some pretty cool includes, and I'm curious to see how they affect this format. Yeah, I think it's interesting of and actually kind of cool of them to take the advantage that they have with the digital offering to just inject cards into a set like this that normally wouldn't be here. I know some people weren't super happy about it, but I'm excited to see how it changes things up. Yeah, and a lot of them were already in the Masterpiece series, the Invocations. So this doesn't change that too much. I guess if you were a frequent paper drafter, you might have already played against the Thoughtseize and Amonkhet Limited, right? Yeah, it would have been incredibly rare, but there are definitely people who have done it. I'm just happy we so, get to see yeah. Sphinx's Revelation in, in Limited again. I'm not. Besides that, let's start getting into some of the more specifics. We don't care about 
what kind of mythics and rares they're injecting into the format. This is draft chaff. We're here to talk about the bad cards. Let's get into some of those. Sure. So our first archetype we have here is red, white exert. As the name implies, it is comprised of red cards. It's comprised of white cards and they generally try to exert things. Um, (laughs) Essentially, this is the go wide attack, send everything into the red zone archetype. The signpost uncommon we have, and for this particular set, because there are the uncommon aftermath cards, we are adding those in with the signpost uncommons. But the main signpost uncommon for red white is honored crop captain. It's one red, one white for a three two human warrior. And whenever honored crop captain attacks, other attacking creatures get plus one plus zero oh until end of turn. Yeah, so it's gonna attack in. It's gonna pump your your people. They're going to attack your opponent for a lot, and especially with the evasion provided by some of the common exerters in red-white, that, that 1-0 can go a long way. And the Aftermath card we have here is Onward to Victory, and that's how the Aftermath cards are read. For those who don't know, it's the first half, the word 2, and then the second half. So that's Onward so to Victory. Sweet. Yeah, that is great flavor. Really, really like the way they handled these cards. Yeah. Onward to Victory, uh, the first half, Onward, is 2 and a red for an instant Target creature gets plus X plus O until end of turn, where X is its power. And victory is two and a white for a sorcery, and target creature gains double strike until end of turn. Now, remind you to remind you, victory can only be cast from the graveyard. Also interesting, onward is an instant and victory is a sorcery. So it is possible that this is a six drop, right? Where before combat you go, cast onward targeting my four four. It's now an eight four. Cast victory on my eight four. Now it's an eight four double strike sweet that's true but that does open you up to get three for one i mean it's certainly yeah, a, it's yeah. certainly a line i would just be careful about that so this also doesn't give trample or anything right you gotta do that yourself right um so this archetype is pretty well supported we have the traditional aggressive cards they're statted relatively aggressively you have cards like uh gust walker on crop crasher cartouche of zeal the battlefield scavenger that we opened in our crack draft type thing Dauntless Aven, <laughs> Bloodlust Insider, Oketra's Avenger, Takarop Elite. There are a whole, whole slew of cards that are very aggressive, exert to do better things when they're attacking, and Red also has some of the best removal in the format, so you can look for things like Magma Spray to uh, get rid of opposing pesky creatures. Yeah, these also provide a lot of interesting evasion. So Oncrop Crasher, for example, saw a lot of standard play. Uh, when you exert that thing, target creature can't block this turn. So you take out their biggest attacker, or sorry, their biggest blocker, and then you're able to attack him with your smaller people. Dauntless Aven is the two and a white two one. Whenever it attacks, you untap a creature you control so you can rebuy those exerts. So when this was first an Amonkhet, Gustwalker and I think it was a Nefcrop Elite, was that the other one? Were the, mm-hmm. uh, the two best friends. Both two drops, both commons. Gustwalker is a two mana two two. When it attacks, you can exert it. It gets one one in flying which just could clock the opponent so quickly. And I think it was Nefcrop Entangler, because it's like it holding is, a... Yes. Yeah, that's what it is. I don't have it in front of me. That was a, I believe, one of the red for a 2-1. You could exert it to give it plus one, plus two. Again, kind of you know making it come through on the ground. Yeah. And a, Daunt- great, a great aggro deck, by far. Absolutely. And Dauntless Haven just lets you rebuy those, as you said. Mm-hmm. We also had the Takrop Elite from our, our intro pack, where... You know, once you've got all those all those dudes flying around, there's there's kind of a tension with this deck where you want to carefully balance how you exert. It's not too often you get a fun aggro deck where you have a lot of cool decisions to make. 
Yeah, I, I like this deck a lot. And I think it's going to be pretty well positioned in this set. I'm thinking that it's going to be slightly leaning towards the aggressive side. That's my prediction. I kind of want it to be slower, but I don't know. Maybe maybe there'll be enough fatties in the format to slow down the exerters. But I remember strongly how how quick an exert deck could end the game. Yeah, and I think ultimately this deck got better by the remastering. Red has, I think, by far the best common removal of the set. Just has so many good red removal spells at common. I think the red aggressive decks are going to be pretty strong, paired with the white evasion and resilient attackers. It's a recipe for success and limited. Absolutely. Next up, we've got green-white exert. So same idea. It's attacking in, trying to exert to get value, but it's slightly slower and slightly bigger overall. So again, we have the strong white exerting creatures that have some evasion, stuff like uh, Gustwalker. But now we're also kind of pairing it with a bunch of pump spells and untapping effects. So here we have Oncrop Champion as our signpost uncommon. This is two green-white for a 4-4 human warrior. You can exert it as it attacks, and when you do, untap all other creatures you control. So wait a minute, if I had just attacked with this, and another creature, and another creature, and exerted all three of them to get their effects, Uncrop Champion would untap the two that I just exerted, which means I get to exert every time I attack with them, right? Well, you're still limited because Uncrop Champion is exerted. It doesn't untap itself. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you do have the, the downside of this being exerted. So the next, you're basically still going to exert every other turn, but you get to attack in, in those turns in between with the other creatures. However, if you're attacking with Oncrop Champion and a Dauntless Aven, well, now the Dauntless mm -hmm. Aven can untap the Oncrop Champion and the Oncrop Champion untaps everything else. So now you actually <laughs> are exerting every turn. Yeah, or even two Oncrop Champions or any of the other spells that untap a creature. That's true. It, yeah, this is, it's kind of a resilient exert deck. It's less all in than the red-white one. Our... Uh, kind of split card here is appeal to authority this can end games very well uh, it's not an overrun but it's similar one green for a sorcery you can appeal which is until end of turn target creature gets trample and gets plus x plus x where x is the number of creatures you control so this might give i don't know plus four plus four plus five plus five for one green even at sorcery speed that's pretty good and then authority also a sorcery you can tap up the two creatures your opponents control. Creatures you control gain vigilance until end of turn. Wow, that uh, <laughs> that really quickly takes away the downside of tapping and exerting things, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It's one thing to keep in mind. Exert doesn't tap your creatures. It just prevents them from untapping for a turn. So, yeah, if you exert a creature with vigilance, doesn't actually do anything. And then you're also tapping down your opponent's stuff, pumping a dude really big. This will often let you swing for lethal in most board states. Yeah, and this for is... three mana total. Exactly. I was about to say, this is one of those aftermath cards where chaining them together isn't super costly, and nets a very big effect. So we have the same good white base, something like Dauntless Aven, Gustwalker, Catcher's Avenger, Tarkrap Elite. One of the best removal spells at common is Compulsory Rest. Let me mention this yet. One of the white for an aura. Enchanted creature can't attack or block. And it has pay two, sack it, gain two. Sorry, the creature has that. So your opponent gets to gain two if they feel like it off of it. But that's going to the graveyard. There's no chance of them flickering it or getting the aura off of it. Just for the small upside of gaining two life, which doesn't really mean much in the end. So this is kind of like two mana, get it out of the way. It's pretty close to a pacifism effect. 
One thing to keep in mind with Compulsory Rest, though, is that there are plenty of Embalm and Eternalize creatures in this format. You do not want to mm -hmm. Compulsory Rest those. That just gives your <laughs> yeah. opponent a free way to get it in the graveyard, and they get just get to upgrade it with Eternalize or Embalm. Some of the best green cards you can have in this are uh, Ronus's Stalwart, Watchful Naga, Shepet Monitor, which is one of my favorite cards in the set. And I think Pouncing Cheetah also has a home here. Now, of course, we can't miss, I think, the best green exert uncommon, Hoodie V. That's right. He's back. Hooded Brawler. This thing, well, it, it brawls. It's three mana for a 3-2. You can exert it. It gets plus two, plus two. This thing smacks in for five damage on turn four. It's, it, it's great. What's not to love? Yeah, and Hoodie B is actually a common in this format, so... Yeah, he, I th he was last time too, wasn't he? I think so. I thought you said uncommon. Oh yeah, well, whatever. It, it's great. You're going to play this. Green-white is one of my favorite archetypes to play in this in this format, I think. Well, I, I, I can't say that for sure. I guess I'll find out. It was an old Amon Ket, though. Yeah, next up we have Blue-Red Spells, one of my all-time favorite archetypes. Our signpost uncommon is Enigma Drake. One blue-red. <laughs> Uh, it's one blue red for a star four drake at uncommon it has flying and enigma drake's power is equal to the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard that so star doesn't mean much it's actually more like a six or seven four if you're playing the deck right and building the deck right yeah anybody who's familiar with crackling drake this is the very similar effect uh it doesn't hit cards that are in exile but there aren't too many ways to exile instants and sorceries in this format notably the aftermath cards but yeah enigma drake's fantastic you're open in these colors to all of the amazing common and uncommon removal in red such as a braid and magma spray um, you also have filtering cards like tormenting voice to just churn through your deck and the other uh the uncommon aftermath card we have in these colors is reduced to rubble and reduce here is a two and a blue for instant counter target spell unless it's controller pays three. So expensive mana leak. And rubble is two and a red for a sorcery. Up to three target lands don't untap during their controller's next untap step. Now, rubble's pretty powerful. You can really penalize your opponents, especially with some of the uh, like the uncommon cycle of deserts that have tap effects. You can really punish them. And not only that, but you're you're keeping you're you're knocking them three turns back as far as their mana base is concerned. I think it's I'm interested to see what it can do. Rubble wasn't outstanding an hour, but I think in a more aggressive set where tapping three lands is more akin to time walking than it is to just, you know, a slight nuisance. Uh, I'm curious to see what this one will do. But I think reduces the the important half of this one. For this deck, it probably is. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to play Rubble Up too highly. Uh, but it does seem interesting, and I'm curious to see how it's going to play out in this format. It's definitely a unique effect. Yeah. Yeah. So this also, notably, you can cycle cards at instant speed to pump your Enigma Drake. And also, this kind of has a slight prowess sub-theme. There, there's some random prowess creatures floating around. So instants and sorceries will always be pretty good. Yep. Our favorite blue uncommon is back in the form of riddle form as well so whenever you cast a non-creature spell you can get a 3-3 sphinx there are a number of other filtering cards like hieroglyphic illumination and which in this case actually just draws you cards plenty of other mm -hmm. counter spells and cards that benefit from uh, instants and sorceries being in your graveyard or cycling effects such as ominous sphinx so there are plenty of plenty of cards that make this deck come together and you kind of need 
all of them to make it work. You don't necessarily need the Enigma Drake, but it is the most powerful card in the deck when, when the deck comes together. So really be on the lookout for all of these cheap incidental either card draw spells or damage spells to just keep yourself alive and push to as many instances of sorceries as you can in your graveyard. Yeah, sweet. I, I've missed Hieroglyphic Illumination. I love that card. Oh, it's so good. That's my kind of chaff. Next up, we've got Black White Zombies. This deck has a lot of potential. The ceiling on this is very high. However, the floor is also kind of pretty low. So it, it starts out kind of like a white exert deck, but it also has these tribal themes. We mentioned the one lord that uh, was earlier. Now, this kind of can take advantage of some of the other sub-themes in the set with Embalmment and Turtleize. So sometimes you'll have other random creatures that maybe not they don't go so well in other decks. But in the zombie deck where you care about making zombies, well, then you don't actually mind if, if uh, those get buffed or if you have a, a way to get paid off for having those laying around. Also, fun with black-white death is usually a pretty solid theme. So our signpost uncommon is Wayward Servant. This is white-black 2-2 two, two zombie. Whenever another zombie enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Yeah, it's simple little drain engine. Play this into a zombie into a zombie that's going to buy you some time to play more zombies, and that's going to put your opponent on a bit of a clock. Yeah. You also have cards like Fanbearer, which is one of those annoying pesky tappers at common. It is a little bit of an, exp of an expensive effect at two mana, but it lets you top tap down any creature at all. You also have a number of Embalm and Eternalized cards, like we mentioned earlier, and those all come back as zombies. Uh, Sacred Cat being one of the fun ones in this archetype in particular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so additionally, this, this kind of works like a little mid-rangey aggro deck, and then something like a Wayward Servant can easily close out the game. Our other un uncommon signpost is Start to Finish. Again, these names, just, I do love these. Start is two and a white instant. Create two 1-1 one, one white warrior creature tokens with Vigilance. And the other half is Finish. Two and a black for a sorcery. As an additional cost to cast Finish, sacrifice a creature, destroy target creature. So the joke here being that you get two little 1-1s one that you can sacrifice. You won't often have a creature that's worse than that to sacrifice. Maybe sometimes you'll have something with an aura on it that's locking it down, or maybe you'll somehow steal an opponent's creature. I don't even know if there's one of those if there's a threat and effect in the format. But maybe you just have something you want to get rid of instead. Otherwise, you have these two little 1-1 one -one white warriors to take advantage of. So yeah. uh, other cool cards in this this uh, archetype, Binding Mummy, one of the white for a 2-2. This was kind of a mythic common back when this deck was good. And it did get worse from what I remember as the hour format went on. Once people started to realize, oh, we have to be prepared for this slightly more aggressive strategy in this fun do-whatever-you-want format, once people were aware of it, it kind of got neutered a little. But Binding Mummy is a bear, 2-mana two 2-2. Two -two. Whenever another zombie enters the battlefield under your control, you may tap target artifact or creature. So this would let you dump your hand, tap down your opponent's board, swing in for a bunch. Combine that with fan bearer, like Zach mentioned, and you can pretty much neutralize your opponent's blockers. And then in black, we've got some other decent zombies. Gravedigger, Doom Dissenter, Lord of the Accursed, of course, to buff them all, and Wander and Death to get them back. And then the black cartouche, Cartouche of Ambition. When it enters the battlefield, you put a minus one, minus one counter on a creature, and the enchanted creature gets one, one in lifelink. This is a, a nice little way to continue to gain life, get out of reach of your opponent, 
by the time you need to tap down your opponent's blockers and kind of chip in for lethal. This can be a pretty solid archetype. As we said, the ceiling on this deck is really high. If all the pieces come together, you're going to be in a really good spot. But they don't always, and in fact, I actually think in Amonkhet Remastered, the deck is a bit weaker than it was in Hour. We lost some of the, the good common zombies that this deck really relied on. But who's to say that it won't still be powerful in this format? Yeah, every once in a while, it'll be open, and there'll be a really cool zombies deck that comes about. So next up, we have Blue-Black Cycling. Here, our signpost uncommon is Shadowstorm Vizier. Blue-Black for a 1-3 Human Cleric with Flying. Whenever you cycle or discard a card, Shadowstorm Vizier gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. So Blue-Black Cycling, as the name implies, is really about cycling as much as any deck in the format can be. Uh, again, mm -hmm. this is kind of one that got hurt a bit by the merger between the two sets. But the idea is you want to get as many cycling cards as you can and as many cycling payoffs as you can as well. Two of the best ones are in, are rares, so don't expect to see those too often. Those are new, new perspectives and Shadow of the Grave. But there are plenty of cyclers, and a lot of them are playable regardless of the cycle synergy. So you can look to take advantage of all of those cards as well. Um, you have mm -hmm. cards like Horror of the Broken Lands, uh, Pitiless Vizier, Sh uh, Striped Riverwinder, Shimmerscale Drake, and as we mentioned before, Hieroglyphic Illum Illumination. So there are a number of cycling cards you want to add here. We also have the Aftermath Uncommon, Consign to Oblivion. Consign is one in a blue for an instant return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, so basically an unsummon. And Oblivion is four in a black for a sorcery that says target opponent discards two cards. I'm a little bit lower on this Aftermath card than some of the other ones we've covered. Really? I love this card. Yeah, I mean, the unsummon effect is great, but I don't really care about Oblivion too much. Yeah, you wouldn't always get to cast it. This is usually a good blowout if someone tries to put a cartouche on a creature. This will let you one for one with the cartouche. And then occasionally you'll get to get value from having them discard, say, a land they were sandbagging and a five drop. But the, the ideal scenario for this is, say, uh, on turn four, end of their turn four, you, you bounce their four drop that they just tapped out for. And then you cast Oblivion on your turn after building up a bit of a board. And then they're forced to discard two real things. Yeah, that's true. That 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 play pattern will come up quite often and and is pretty solid. Which, um, actually, Shadowstorm Vizier potential include in a draft chaff cube. Yeah, definitely could be. I I love Shadowstorm Vizier. This is one of my pet cards of the set. Also, probably the coolest name in the set. Yeah, it's really nice, and the art is it's, fantastic it's too. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Overall, there's anyway, not really a lot to say about this deck. Like I yeah. said, most of the payoffs are rares, so it's kind of hard to make this deck come together and actually be powerful enough to win you games. But mm -hmm. cards like Ominous Sphinx can can get close to doing it. There are these incidental whenever you cycle or discard a card cards. But yeah, if you don't pick up those rares, it can be pretty hard to actually put this deck together. Yeah, I think one of the things I'm looking forward to most is pack one, pick one, Drake Haven, and then just <laughs> take as many payoffs as I can get, or as many cycling things as I can get to, to go with it. Agreed. Maybe I'll get the chance. Next up, we've got Blue-White. It's got Embalm and Eternalize. So this deck was fine. Didn't do anything super special. It kind of focused on Embalm and Eternalize, which were two of the more meh archetypes when they were going about doing them. So our signpost uncommon is Avon Wind Guide. 
This is two white blue for a two three bird warrior with flying and vigilance. So on its own, that's that's fine. It's a little undercosted. Creature tokens you control have flying and vigilance. Whoa, wait a minute. That's <laughs> that's pretty good. That means anything that is a embalm or eternalized token is able to fly and vigilant size. And finally, it has embalm for white blue. That is embalm for four generic white blue, not for white blue. You know what I mean. And then, of course, it comes back. Uh, that's a token copy of it. Then, uh, say, I think where you want to put this is with a bunch of eternalized creatures. Embalmed creatures never really did too much. Usually they were attached to uh, small bodies, so I don't really want to pay a bunch of mana to get back like a 1-1 a or a 2-2 two, two or something like that. It doesn't feel too great. But getting to eternalize a thing, which is usually attached to the rares and uncommons, to make it come back bigger, and then having it come back as a big 4-4 four, four flying vigilance, that's a way to close out a game. Over here we've got farm to market. Again, come on. Great. So farm is 2 and a white, Instant, destroy target attacking or blocking creature. And market is draw two cards, then discard two cards. So yeah, it's fine. You got a kill spell stapled to some uh, looting. It's serviceable. It's it's not a, a bomb or anything, but it gives you something to do. So, so break down break down our top cards here for this for this uh, archetype. Yeah, I mean we've already mentioned a lot of the good white ones: Gust Walker, Compulsory Rest, of course, and some of the better graveyard tokeny things in this strategy are sacred cat which is the one one for one lifelink with embalm one this thing is just small and efficient it's not a bomb or anything but it does exactly what you want it to do it'll get in for damage it ends up trading up with some things you can toss it away pretty easily it's a decent chumper there's a lot of certain different little tiny things that you want it to do and uh oh catcher's attendant it's three white white for a three three flying which you know that's okay it also has cycling too. Okay, so it's a little more flexible. And it has embalm three white white. So it's it's same cost. So essentially what this lets you do is cycle it right into the graveyard where you can embalm it later. Pretty cool little modal creature if I may go that far. And then uh, in blue we have something like even initiate. That's three and a blue for a three two flying with embalm for six and a blue. Pretty expensive, but it, it kind of it pays the bills in this deck, so to speak. You'll pick up a few of these. Something like Vizier of the Anointed, which tutors for a uh, creature card with internalizer and balm, puts it in the graveyard so you can do it right away, and then lets you draw cards when you activate internalizer and balms. This is a good payoff if you pick up enough little things like Sacred Cats. And then your filler stuff like Hieroglyphic Illuminations, Unquenchable Thirsts. I think one more good creature to mention is Labyrinth Guardian. It, it kind of has the illusion effect, so it's one in the blue for a 2-3, whenever it becomes the target of a spell, sacrifice it. But then it also has Embalm for 3 in a blue. So if your opponent's pointing a spell at this anyway, you know it's, it's probably going to die no matter what, right? How many things are they aiming at this that aren't kill spells? Maybe the occasional pump spell? Uh, this is a, a nice little curve filler. And you also kind of want to pair a lot of these cards with other effects that boost tokens, because... Ultimately, all the involved creatures will come back as tokens. I mm -hmm. don't think there are very many of them, but obviously Avon Wind Guide is one of the best. Yeah, sometimes you'll get like an anointed procession or something like that and That's true. get to go off. But this deck was 
Not super impressive, but hey, it's blue-white. Sometimes you'll just beat your opponent to death with a bunch of flyers and, and bounce spells. So, while Embalm and Eternalize aren't always worth the time and mana you spend on them, this deck can certainly win games. Yeah, next up we have Black-Green Counters. That's not exactly what you might think it is. In this format, the archetype surrounding counters is actually minus one, minus one counters instead of plus one, plus one counters. But our signpost in common here is Obelisk Spider. It's one black-green for a 1-4 spider with reach. Whenever Obelisk Spider deals combat damage to a creature, put a minus one, minus one counter on that creature. Whenever you put one or more minus one, minus one counters on a creature, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Now, it's worth noting that clause about dealing combat damage does not say that it replaces its combat damage with minus one, minus one counters. It just adds an additional minus one, minus one counter on that creature. So it'll deal mm-hmm. one damage to it that's temporary. At the end of turn, it'll it'll reset. But it also adds a one, minus one, minus one counter to the creature. So if it's a two toughness creature, this thing will trade with it. And it'll drain your opponent in the process. I actually, I want to interject with a quick anecdote about this one. I actually tried to build a standard deck with Obelisk Spider because I loved it so much in draft. I have a love of chaff. What can what can I say? I wanted to try to make Obelisk Spider work in in my FNMs. Wow, you remember FNM? That was that was a long time ago. Those so, were the days. Uh, man, imagine being able to go to events in person. So actually, this is when a certain card known as Yeheni's Expertise was legal and standard. So the wombo combo that I was going for was that I would play an obelisk spider on turn three, and I could curve it right into Yeheni's expertise, which is two black black. All creatures get minus three minus three until end of turn, and then you get to free cast something that has converted mana cost three or less. So that could be another obelisk spider or a kill spell for whatever didn't die to the minus effect. The joke was that this was a resilient threat that lived through Yeheni's expertise. Didn't work. Didn't work out that well in practice. Turns out there's usually stronger things going on in standard than good draft uncommons. Yeah, that sounds about right. Our uncommon aftermath card in these colors is Destined to Lead. Destined is one in a black for an instant. Target creature gets plus one plus zero and gains indestructible until end of turn. And Lead is three in a green for a sorcery that says all creatures able to block target creature this turn do so. What do you think? Of this I one? get the joke. Uh, yeah, do you get it? I see what they're doing here. <laughs> so the joke is if you have a big beefy 5-5 five five and you give it 1-0 and indestructible and then make all your opponent's stuff have to block it, well, this can eat a bunch of their stuff or allow you to get through for lethal. So this is one of the ones that I actually don't mind using on two separate turns. This is uh, two, two cards that on their own aren't really worth a card. Maybe I could see Destined being an occasionally good combat trick. But lead often isn't worth the card by itself. However, you staple these two together and you get a pretty versatile way to break in for damage. It, it kind of feels like this belongs in like the green-white go-wide strategies of typical formats. Mm-hmm, yeah. But yeah, it, it fits and it's serviceable and it will get the job done every now and then. Yeah, so something funny that, that you mentioned to me earlier was that back in Amonkhet, this deck never really got there unless it had, what was it Decimator Beetle? Decimator Beetle, called? yeah. Yeah, which uh, I believe, didn't that like add additional minus one minus encounters to your opponent's stuff? Something like that? Yeah, it was similar to uh, like Winding Constrictor, but with minus one minus one counters. Yeah, so um, 
Zach mentioned earlier, like, oh yeah, that's right. Black green was a deck, but it never really got there unless there was a Decimator Beetle in your deck. And uh, notably, they did not print Decimator Beetle in this set. So uh, I don't have super high hopes for black green, but I'm hoping the consistency added with some of these uh, these new includes and how they designed the small set. I'm hoping this gets a chance to shine. There's some pretty cool cards in this in this uh, little archetype, though. Yeah, I think what's going to end up happening with this archetype is that black green is going to be a thing and it's going to play the beefy kind of good uh, green cards and then a handful of the good black cards and incidentally you'll have some minus one minus one counters thrown around it's not going to be built around the minus one minus one counter kind of theme but Mm -hmm. you'll have some tacked on your card effects and you'll just be playing it's going to be in my opinion i think it's going to be black green good stuff with the additional with the occasional minus one minus one counter yeah, interesting enough, um, a lot of the cards in this format end up being a little bit under, or sorry, over-costed. No, under-costed. Yeah, under-costed, because they, they come in with weird little synergies about minus one, minus one counters. So, for example, Exemplar of Strength is a two-mana 4-4, four, four, but when it enters the battlefield, you put three minus one, minus one counters on a creature you control. I mean, ideally, if this is turn two, this is the only one you control, so at least most likely. Maybe you could put them on a sacred cat that you played turn one. It's kind of sweet. But uh, whenever it attacks, you remove a minus one, minus one counter from it, and if you do, you gain a life. So that kind of lets you start building this into a 4-4. And then there's other little things that go along with the minus one, minus one counter synergy, too. What else does this deck have going for it? So you have cards like Ornery Kudu. It's a 3-mana 3-4 that makes you put a minus one, minus one counter on a creature you control. Defiant Great Maul, which is a three mana four or five, but similarly puts minus one, minus one counters on your creatures. Um, you have our classic Hoodie B, uh, Hooded Brawler, Hoodie fits B. into this deck quite well. And you have a number of other cards in black, like Nest of Scarabs, Cartouche of Ambition, Baleful Amet. All these cards have some sort of theme with the minus one, minus one counter thing, but none of them are incredibly powerful or like drawing you into that archetype. And weirdly enough, some cards put minus one, minus one counters on your stuff. Some cards put it on your opponent's stuff. So it's it's not super consistent in how it does it. Yeah, and obviously putting it on your opponent's stuff is better. Um, so there's like this weird yeah. this weird situation where your cards are, like like Ben mentioned, your cards are under-costed. So you're getting these huge effects, like a 4-5 for 3 mana. But then you're also removing power and toughness from creatures like most of those cards like defying great mall for instance when it enters the battlefield you put two minus one minus one counters on target creature you control it doesn't have to be that creature so it can be a three mana four five but it, they have to go on some creature it's not a may effect so you need something else to put those counters on and ideally you're doing it to a token or maybe an embalm creature or something but yeah it is a downside mm-hmm. say so, so you played a one mana one one like sacred cat then your Defiant Great Maul is just a, a two and a green for a four or five if you put those on the Sacred Cat, but then it becomes like you're sacking a creature as it comes down. And you won't always be playing a creature first that you want to sacrifice. However, now there's these other little weird synergies where you get something like, what if I put my Defiant Great Maul counters on my Exemplar of Strength, which can remove them from itself? Other little weird things like that. It's an interesting and fun deck to play because there's a lot of choices to make. However, sometimes you're just spinning your wheels. The choices don't actually do too much. 
Yeah. And notably, uh, Defiant Great Maul, as you were mentioning, like similar with Exemplar of Strength, Defiant Great Maul, when you put minus one, minus one counters on it, it removes them from another target creature. So you can mm-hmm. kind of move them around in that way with with Defiant Great Maul's effect. So it does kind of negate that if you have other minus one, minus one counters on the field. Yeah, so it's creatures that start out weak and then get stronger over the course of the game. That's cool, I guess. But is it good enough to outrace something like Red White? Not always. Ooh, we've got uh, Red Green. And I don't really know what this is. It's like mid-range, attacking. <laughs> the signpost uncommon. Kenra Charioteer. It's one Red Green for a 3-3 Jackal Warrior. That's a good rate. It has Trample, and other creatures you control have Trample. Wow, they, they really hit the nail on the head with this one, huh? Yeah, so I think the whole idea here is to have your creatures never get blocked, ever. <laughs> Also, you got you, know, you have to love the uh, flavor text on that card. We do not swerve. <laughs> I've never seen that. That's awesome. <laughs> I, honestly, red green has never really been about subtlety, has it? No, not so much, and it certainly isn't here. The charioteer sums it up. You're not swerving with red green. You're you're not going over or under. You're you're going through. So uh, this deck is obviously all about attacking preferably straight through whatever your opponent is managing to put up as blocks. So it's mid-rangey aggro. It's un- it's uncommon as a 3-mana three 3-3. Three, three. You know, that's going to be able to attack, and especially because it and everything else has trample. So I can see pump spells being pretty good in this, uh, in this archetype in particular. Something like giving a creature plus 3 plus 1 might actually be a good payoff. One of my favorite forms of card advantage is stranding cards in your dead opponent's hand. And this deck kind of <laughs> does that well. So um, it's Aftermath card is Struggle to Survive. (laughs) Just so good. Struggle is two and a red for an instant. Deals damage to target creature equal to the number of lands you control. So on turn three, this is three mana, deal three, instant speed. Great, yeah. And then after that, on turn five, you could deal five to a creature, play a two-two. Awesome. Scales up with the game, gets better to address your opponent's better threats. Sounds good to me. And then Survive is one in the green for a sorcery with Aftermath. Each player shuffles his or her graveyard into his or her library. Interesting. So the joke here is that this can actually kill gods. The gods that uh, come back from the graveyard, that is. So the Scarab God, the Scorpion God, and the Locust God. Notably, they come back to your hand at the end of the turn. However, if you manage to struggle survive one, they get shuffled back into the deck where they could be redrawn, but you know, at least it's better than having it stuck on the battlefield coming back every turn forever. Those can be tough to beat, and this is one of the few answers in the format for those. Yeah, so this deck kind of plays out two different ways. It can either be a kind of controlling mid-rangey ramp style build with cards like Oasis Ritualist or Naga Vitalist to ramp yourself up and attempt to you know cast a greater sandworm ahead of curve or something of that nature mm-hmm. you also have an aggressive side of things where you're playing cards like sand strangler and magma spray on crop crasher and some of these more aggressive powerful early game creatures and removal spells to chip damage in early and there's probably some kind of hybrid of the two but they generally don't work well together you're not going to want to be playing a two mana one two that taps to add mana if you're trying to get your opponent dead quick yeah exactly so i have a theory that this 
kind of result kind of revolves around the removal spells that you have, especially the commons, because uh, you know there's not a lot of green removal spells in the set. There's the cartouche, but that's it. So it really heavily relies on what red removal you open. With something like magma sprays, this kind of fits well into both aggro or the more more controlish ramping style. But I think if you pick up enough magma sprays and open fires you can kind of control the board early enough to live through your opponent's early onslaught. You can then cast stuff like Oasis Ritualist to power out an early Sandworm or uh, something along those lines. However, if you've got something like a Puncturing Blow, if you pick up a bunch of these and, and heavier, more beefy red removal spells later, this is the one that is a four mana sorcery, deals five to a creature, and if it dies, you exile it. Then you can start drafting your your two mana two twos and three mana three threes, and then curving that into these more expensive removal spells or removal spell plus another creature. And obviously, you'll play a lot of these no matter what. But curve consideration is one of the ways that you'll figure out which of these decks you're in. All right, Ben, what's up next? So next up, we've got black red hexbent aggro. Uh, I think we'll call it. So it's a pretty strong mid-rangey aggro deck with some minus one, minus one counter synergy and this Heckbent clause that I mentioned earlier, where it really is okay with having no cards in your hand. This shows up in uh, most notably Hazard, I think, where uh, she can't do anything unless you have one or fewer cards in your hand. But uh, in any case, there's some commons that have similar effects, and this has some cool recursion that lets you leverage that. So our signpost uncommon is Merciless Javin Lanier. It's two black-red for a 4-2 Minotaur Warrior. You can pay two, discard a card, put a minus one, minus one counter on target creature, and that creature can't block this turn. So, well, I guess technically you could put this on one of your creatures that has a minus one, minus one counter synergy. You mostly want to be putting this on your opponent's stuff so that you know, it makes them unable to block and shrinks them in the process. It's, it's, it's good. Four mana, four, two. It'll smack them, especially when they can't block with their stuff. You can activate this multiple times in a turn. This could really make blocking difficult for your opponent. And then our other uncommon is Claim to Fame, which is one black sorcery for Claim, return target creature card with converted mana cost two or less from graveyard to battlefield. And Fame, target creature gets plus two plus O and haste until end of turn. This one was an annoying one to lose to. Uh, It never really felt super strong, especially in hour where people were doing bigger and splashier things. But hey, if you have a critical mass of two drops and you're able to pay three to reanimate one, give it 2-0 in haste, that's pretty strong. Yeah, it's kind of a straightforward-ish aggro deck. You just want to jam your aggressively statted creatures, um, have targets for these minus one, minus one counters, and get the blockers out of the way with uh, Merciless Javelinier, and then sort of recur them if you can. This is another one where the minus one, minus one counter theme is kind of just incidental. You're not really looking Mm -hmm. to maximize anything with that. You just want your aggressive creatures. And ultimately, I've never really found this deck to quite get there. Uh, It's okay, but uh, I'd rather be in one of the other aggressive decks. Yeah, I found it interesting, at least. You've got stuff like Ruthless Sniper, one black for a 1-2. And whenever you cycle or discard, you can pay one to put a minus one, minus one counter on something. So this is another way to kind of shrink down or eventually start getting rid of your opponent's creatures while discarding and cycling. Something like Miasmic Mummy, one in a black for a 2-2. Each player discards the card when it enters the battlefield. Yeah, you, you can start leveraging that, getting the cards back with Gravedigger, or uh, pumping creatures like Bio Manifestation that care about how many cycling cards you have in your graveyard. 
And then in red, you have other ways to do similar things. Burning Fist Minotaur, uh, you can discard a card to pump it. Thresher Lizard gets bigger when you have one or fewer cards in their hand, like we mentioned. And then Kenra Scrapper is just a nice little chaffy attacker. Two and a red for a 2-3 menace, and you can exert it to give it 2-0. It's going to be able to get through a lot of the time. Yeah, I actually have Kenra Scrapper as one of the best, if not the best red comp. Like, I, I have... Um... I think I have Magma Spray slightly higher than Kenra Scrapper right now, but it, it's one of the better uh, red commons, so you can definitely look to pick those up. And like you mentioned, with like Ruthless Sn- Sniper and the Merciless Javelinier, and there are a few others that benefit from the cycle or discard sort of effects. So look to maximize those if you have the discard uh, payoffs. Yeah, definitely make sure you get some idea of how you're going to be bringing stuff back, whether returning cycling cards or uh, regrowth effects. Because if you're just dumping your hand for the sake of dumping your hand, that's no, it's not usually a great strategy. Yeah, Wander from the Dead comes a bit higher uh, in this deck. It goes up the pick order, I think, because it's a cycling card and it will get you your creatures back. Mm, yeah. Next sure. up, What's we up have blue-green value slash ramp slash good stuff. Ooh. So, this is, we got we got the hoopoo. I love oh, the hoopoo. Oh yes. So our signpost in common, as Ben is so gracefully hinting at, is river hoopoo. It's green blue for a one three bird with flying, and it has three green blue. You gain two life and draw a card. Ugh. Beautiful. If they could if they could print me as a card. <laughs> I think it would be something, at least something resembling River Hoopoo. I'm obsessed with birds. I'm a Simic mm. Mage at heart. And I love to gain life and draw cards. The Hoopoo is awesome. I love this little guy. Yeah, he's pretty great. So as the sort of archetype name implies, the goal here is to stall and just get value for your cards. You want to be drawing extra cards with things like Hieroglyphic Illumination, countering your opponent's spells just to sort of one for one or, or better them with supreme will and essence scatter and then play out your your decent creatures like ordinary kudu chef at monitor you're gonna have a number of different cyclers to use as well and if you can ramp up to big things quickly that's always great as well yeah so i actually really like the cyclers in this deck specifically because this deck wants to be affecting the game affecting the board or affecting anything early and late so when you do something like a cycle striped riverwinder turn one you're using your mana you're getting a card that could potentially affect the board on turn two or help you stay alive then you can cast your other striped riverwinders turn seven and then they're actually a threat on board so feral prowler is also pretty good in this slot uh, it's a two mana one three when it dies draw a card helps you stay alive it's not usually trading for anything but hey it, it helps you buy time until you can slam something like your six six hex proof or whatever and then, of course, you've got the Hoopoo to you know, hop in there and gain your life, draw your cards. This, you know, it's a 1-3 flyer. I don't recommend blocking it with it that often, but you can. And uh, if it stays alive until late, or if you just play it and activate it late, you're going to get paid off for this thing. And our uncommon Aftermath card here is Spring to Mind. Spring is 2 and a green for a sorcery that says search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. And mind is four blue blue for an instant that says draw two cards. 
probably the most expensive divination to ever be printed. <laughs> it's a, it's an expensive divination, yeah. But um, maybe they thought if there was any cheaper, it'd be it broken in older formats, something like that. Well, it is an instant, so you know, I guess that bumps the cost up a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think this deck starts out really well when you open a bomb. Something like a Sandworm Convergence in this format, which unfortunately was often a little bit too slow in Amonkhet. Maybe in this slightly slower format, we'll have time for that. Getting the ramp up into it and lock down the game behind a million big worms. Uh, Sifter Worm is another good one here. Gains you life. It's a huge body that you can hide behind while you make use of your other cards. I I'm a big fan of this one. Yeah, me too. It's definitely going to come together occasionally, and when it does, it's going to be sweet, but don't try to force this. If you're ever going to force an archetype, don't don't force this, but also don't don't force archetypes. <laughs> yeah, this is one where you could wind up with a mess of a deck. Feral Prowler and, say, Hooded Brawler, they do not play well together, even though they're both green commons that are both decently playable. Now, mm -hmm. this actually leads into our uh, 11th archetype, right. five-color green. So, right. so <laughs> this one, this one's great. Yeah, we, we have we have two. Um, how do you say it? we have two honorable mentions of archetypes uh, in this format? These are two decks that can come together occasionally, and you'll every so often see lines to make them happen, but really aren't decks that crop up too often and aren't overwhelmingly powerful in general. Um, and one of them is kind of a meme, but. <laughs> First up, as Ben mentioned, we have uh, Five Color Green. Why don't you walk us through that? Sure. So Five Color Green is, as it implies, green base. You've got stuff like uh, Oasis Ritualist as really the backbone of this deck because you can tap it to add one mana of any color, or you can exert it to add two mana of any color, which is excellent for splashing bomb rares that, say, are double pipped. Now, I think Spring to Mind and even Consign to Oblivion, these uh, tempo-y, stall-y, affecting your opponent's hand to try to buy time. These are some of the best ways to get into this. And this usually starts when you take a you know good bomb rare, and then you start picking up some decent fixing, and then you pick up another bomb rare that's another color. Say, I don't know, starting something like Bounty of the Luxa, the blue-green rare that I don't even know is... Is that even in the remastered one? I don't know. It's not. Oh, no, really? I love Bounty of the Luxa. All right, fine. Um, Let's say you start off with uh, Ronus, the god. And then you're like, all right, I'll play green. That seems good. You pick up a spring to mind. You pick up some decent blue cards. And then you've got a bunch of Oasis Ritualists. And then, I don't know, you open, a, I don't know, Glorybringer. <laughs> and you're like, hmm, now what? <laughs> I'm taking the Glorybringer. Because Oasis Ritualists can actually cast it pretty well. Then I'm snapping up as many Ritualists and ways to draw cards and buy time as I can. Something like Farm to Market is also pretty good here. These cards that serve multiple purposes, the Aftermath cards, they go really well here because they kind of provide natural card advantage. This kind of works in a similar way to five-color Niv-Mizzet in, in other formats, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it certainly does. And you're going to see cards like Chef at Monitor and these, these Search Library for Land cards go up quite a bit when you're making your way into this strategy. Um, you're going to want to take those relatively highly. And you can capitalize a lot on the deserts in this deck as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Because especially the uncommon cycle of them, you can kind of just snap up any of them and play them and be happy about it. 
and you're going to get yeah. benefits from all of them and you can just snap up all the deserts which makes all the deserts better yep exactly how about our uh, our last and oh man I'm afraid that we're going to inspire our listeners to do bad things with this next one. Yeah, that's kind of the goal, no? Uh, I guess. Go go nuts. Tell all them right. all about this thing. So perhaps the most honorable mention of honorable mentions we could possibly have come up with here is our Lord and Savior, Slitherblade. <laughs> so our signpost on common for this archetype is Slitherblade. He's a, it's blue. It's for not a, even an uncommon. It's, it's blue for a 1-2 Naga Rogue at common. It's Slitherblade can't be blocked. <laughs> That's it. It's a 1-2 for 1 that can't be blocked. Now, I know what you're thinking. This card's bad. And you'd be right. <laughs> you're but, so right. But here's where things really come together. When you look at our top 10 commons and uncommons for this, this archetype, you have cards like Slitherblade, which really just <laughs> allow you to get in for damage without being able to be blocked. And it's fantastic. <laughs> A couple oh, of man. other cards you have in this archetype are Slitherblade, uh, Slitherblade, <laughs> Slitherblade, and also Slitherblade really helps this deck come together. So if you can our put Slitherblade... I'm, I'm gro- I, I, can you hear my hand hitting my head through the mic? Hold on. Can you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> Does that read? <laughs> because right now I'm looking at our show notes and it's just... 10 pictures of a Slitherblade <laughs> where <laughs> we usually put our top 10 commons and uncommons. And the only note under it is that it needs a critical mass of Slitherblades. This deck, didn't it like make waves at a Pro Tour or well, something? So that's exactly right. Uh, the deck was basically never a thing. Nobody was drafting this card. It's not a good card. Nobody wanted it in their decks. And then Christian Calcano went and 3 0 PT draft with it. And suddenly mm. it was like the deck to play. And honestly, I'm a bit worried that the people who remember that that tournament specifically and this archetype a bit... I'm a bit worried that it's going to become like the new spider spawning. Like everybody's going to snap up as many Slitherblades as they can and just start jamming them. Yeah. Hold on. I, I want to look this up. I'm trying to find out. <laughs> I'm trying to see if I can find Calcano's exact deck. Oh, man. I, oh, oh, is this it? Hold on. Oh, no, no. Uh, this was, well, it, it's Manguchi. So, you know, you're getting some good Manguchi cuisine with, with this one. <laughs> He he posted a picture of uh oh he actually did run this uh this pro tour with Calcano and Li Qian, apparently. He has five slither blades and a soul scar mage as his one drops in this deck. Yes. And then, oh my god. This alright, maybe this one I, I almost want to say it wasn't the slither blades doing the work because he also has Oncrop Crasher, Glorybringer, Nethcrop Entangler, multiple winds of rebuke, and three cartouche of zeal. Yeah, right. What do you think those Cartouche of Zeals were targeting? <laughs> Pro- probably the Slitherblade. Probably the Slitherblade. So if you can put enough auras, which again, do at your own risk, or equipment, which again in this set aren't very good, onto your one mana can't be blocked, you will occasionally win games against opponents that forgot to draft removal spells. <laughs> or against opponents that are trying to do something really big that takes a bunch of turns, but if you curved out, hold on, let's do a little math here. If you play a deck that's just 23 sliver blades and no, 17 no, lands, no. how many turns does it take to kill the opponent? 
I don't want to run that, those numbers. Don't play Slither Blade, please. Someone just... in the comments, <laughs> someone, like, comment, and subscribe if oh you know gosh. how many turns that would take. I'll give you a hint. Most opponents will be able to kill you before you do it. It's, it's it... worth mentioning because this is a bit of a meme deck, and in the right capable hands, this could come together as a hyper aggro deck. But maybe in this format, it just doesn't get there. Who knows? And, it, and it's super rare that it will actually come together. Most of the mm-hmm. good, most actually, most of the colorless cards in this whole entire format are uncommon. There are mm-hmm. a couple at rare. Right. I think there might be only one common in the entire format. That's uh, there's, there's all those monuments, right? Making things cheaper and, and such. Yeah. But uh, please don't play this card. Don't draft this deck. Draft something, anything, literally <laughs> anything else. Okay. Anyway. Let's move on to our top commons in each color and a couple of quick format notes, and then let's wrap this up. Sure. So, for me, my top commons are as follows. I have Gustwalker as the best white common. One and a white for a 2-2. You may exert it as it attacks. When you do, it gets plus one, plus one, and gains flying until end of turn. Three mana, uh, sorry, two mana, three, three with flying is phenomenal. You can't beat it. Um, Every other turn. Still yeah, very good. Okay, yes, but... I also said you can't beat it, which is objectively not true. But <laughs> dies the Doomblade. Oh my gosh! Uh, next up for blue, I have Unquenchable Thirst. It's one and a blue for an enchantment aura at common. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, if you control a desert or there is a desert in your graveyard, you tap Enchanted Creature, and Enchanted Creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. So mm. you can throw this on a an attacker or something. Uh, some some creature that your opponent has tapped already uh, if you don't have a desert, but they're not super difficult to come by and are high enough picks that you should have them. You know, I, it looks like the person in the art could really use a cactus. I hear that's the quenchiest. They are the quenchiest. <laughs> Next up for black, we have Cartouche of Ambition. Two and a black for an enchantment, Aura Cartouche. Uh, enchant creature you control. When Cartouche of Ambition enters the battlefield, you may put a minus one, minus one counter on target creature, and Enchanted Creature gets plus one, plus one, and has lifelink. Just a solid, yeah, solid aura. Um, it makes your opponent's creatures weaker, and it's a counter, so even if the the Cartouche gets destroyed or something, that sticks around, and then it makes your mm-hmm. creature bigger and helps you survive. Uh, in red, we have Magma Spray. It's just red for an instant, and it deals two damage to target creature. If that creature would die this turn, exile it instead. Uh, just yeah, solid, solid common removal. Cartouche of Strength is our is my top green. Uh, it's two and a green for an enchantment or a cartouche. Enchant, uh, enchant creature you control. When Cartouche of Strength enters the battlefield, you may have enchanted creature fight target creature an opponent controls. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, and has trample. Now, it's one of the only removal spells in green in this format, um, if you want to think of it that way. And notably, these things happen in the order that they're written, so the creature doesn't get the plus one plus one before it fights. But doesn't it? I, th- I thought I thought it would. I don't believe it does. Wouldn't it come in, and that's a state-based change to its power and toughness? It might be, but I'm pretty sure the effects that might be like a static. Yeah, maybe. Thing, right? I'm pretty maybe. sure that works. I could have that wrong. If so, it's just better. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how it works. So, anyway. uh, what do you have as your as your top comments? Well, I actually agree with all but two of these. Uh, Cartouche of Strength, agree. Magma Spray, agree. Unquenchable Thirst, agree. Uh, my top common in white, I have Compulsory Rest, uh, the pacifism that lets them sack. I wouldn't fault you for saying Gus Walker's better. I think it's pretty close, and I'm curious to see how this format plays out. I think it's going to be a more aggressive format, so I'm kind of 
I'm kind of jumping the gun a little here and saying that compulsory rest is going to be important for the decks that you know want it. Uh, and also in black, I'm going to say Lethal Sting instead of the Cartouche, which is two and a black for a sorcery. As an additional cost to cast Lethal Sting, you put a minus one, minus one counter on a creature you control, destroy a creature. It's unconditional removal for three mana. With the slight, slight, slight downside of minus one, minus one counter on one of your things, which you know, shrinks it, but there's some other ways to get rid of it. Some of your green creatures incidentally don't want it. It's almost like a green-black card, but every once in a while you'll just put this on a creature you don't really care about anyway, or you'll have a token laying around that you don't care about. I, I think the unconditional removal is just going to be good once we start seeing more larger creatures running around too. Yeah, I have, that, I have uh, Lethal Sting yeah, in a close it. second as well. It's definitely tight there uh, between Lethal Sting and the Cartouche for me. So let's just go over some general format things and then wrap it up. So first of all, this is even though it's a cycling format, this is not Ikoria. So remember in Ikoria draft where you would first pick something like a random spell that had cycling for one generic mana? We're not doing that anymore. Uh, in Ikoria, you would almost be making 30 or 35 card decks with less lands and putting in the cyclers because they were just so efficient. And with Zenith Flares and other cycling payoffs, it didn't really matter what they were. Instead, you have to impact the board here. Cycling just kind of has this incidental little upside, and uh, it has a cost to not play out to the board. You'll die to Gus Walker if you try to just sit around and cycle all day. Uh, additionally, I am going to go ahead and make the prediction that this is going to be a Prince format because, well, there's a lot of bombs going around. A lot of good commons and uncommons, too. Maybe it'll be somewhere between a, a Prince and Pauper, but I definitely think this is going to be a bomb-heavy format. The Scarab God and the other gods are just so good and powerful. And even Glorybringer is just, just stupid to play against or play with if you're so lucky. I think that uh, I'm actually okay with this as a change of pace. Compared to M21, which is a clear popper format, I'm excited to open a pack where I know I'm going to get a cool rare. You know? Yeah, that's definitely going to make this more fun to draft than M21 for sure. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the removal that can actually deal with the gods will, you know, that it'll be the premium. Something like uh, uh, the, the red spell that exiles stuff or uh, right, struggle to survive, mm -hmm. things like that. So uh, another note, the trials and the cartouches. These are great. The synergy is there and there will be enough of them going around. Take these highly, higher than you think you should. This kind of advantage is very strong in, in a set like this. And uh, also, Deserts, another big kind of general format note. Take those highly, too. We didn't go too deeply into the uncommons and the lands in, in this one, but um, just know that the Deserts, their payoffs are real. Something like Ramanop Ruins can easily get in for six damage, which that's pretty scary for a card in your deck that doesn't even take up a spell slot. And uh, finally, just draft whatever you want. Like this, I think this is going to be a sweet set. I'm excited to take Sandworm Convergence highly, and uh, actually, that that's kind of going to be my litmus test for the speed of the format. Uh, do I have time to cast Sandworms without just dying as soon as I pass back to my opponent? Are they going to be able to build out an army of two twos, or do I have time to do cool things instead? Yeah, that sounds like a fair litmus test uh i'm definitely gonna be looking to to drafting as many sandworm convergences as i can as well and hopefully a scarab god or two yeah d definitely hope that you open the scarab god 
more often than your opponents do on average. That's <laughs> fingers crossed. So before we go, what are you most excited to draft in this format? You know, I think I'm just excited to get my hands on these cards again for the first time in a while. I'd love to be able to draft some Sphinx's Revelations just because it's my favorite card. Um, yeah, that'd be cool. But it's just going to be fun to to get get our hands on these these cards once again and kind of see how the remastered thing goes. How about you? I think as far as archetypes, I just love the green-white deck. And I, I know, green-white sometimes gets dunked on for not always being the most quote-unquote competitive in <laughs> constructed play. But uh, I, I do have green-white close to my heart. And especially with something like Appeal to Authority, which was just a limited bomb. And I love me a 4-mana a 4-4, four four, like on-crop champion. I'm also kind of excited to see what happens with the new cards that they're injecting into the format. Like, we have Thoughtseize to play with in Limited. That's always fun. We haven't gotten to do that in a while. I'm curious to see how some of these historic cards that they're, they're kind of sending in, to see if it impacts the Limited format at all. To see if it, it makes a significant effect on the speed or how well the, those ones play with some of the cards that are in this set. And I'm also curious to see how that impacts future sets. For example, do you think we're going to get Kaladesh remastered on here? Kaladesh Aether Revolt injecting, I don't know, Soul Ring or Signets into Historic? Uh, who knows? Could be anything. Yeah, I think I think we will end up getting uh, those the the Kaladesh block as well because they were on Arena before uh, the the actual launch. So I wouldn't be surprised if we get a Kaladesh remastered. I don't know about Soul Ring, but. <laughs> I think we can look forward to some Kaladesh in our future. I hope so. All right. Well, that about does it for us today. I know this is a bit of a longer episode, so hopefully you guys stuck around and were able to get something decent and helpful out of this one. Um, mm -hmm. As always, I'm Zach, and I, Ben is also here with me as well. He does that on occasion. <laughs> Man, we're tired after this one. I was exactly. trying to see how awkward I could make that outro. Um, <laughs> yeah, but... Doing it. But anyway, uh, yeah, you can contact us via Twitter at DraftChaffPod or myself directly at RanitGalfridian. And you can contact Ben directly at Betafish1. Um, do check out the Patreon if that's your thing. We're kind of shifting up some of the stuff in the tiers. Um, at Tier 1, you can get access to the extended show notes. Tier 2, we're going to be sort of keeping up a an updated set grade sort of spreadsheet uh, with our ratings on all the cards in the upcoming formats. Um, we'll be starting that with this one here, Amonkate Remastered. So if that's your thing, you can check out our Tier 2 for that. And Tier 3, we involve uh, some of our listeners in our episodes to uh, plan some things out, ask some questions, and um, hopefully also join in some giveaways. Sweet. I but, want some giveaways. No, no, you're you're going to be giving away. We'll see about that. <laughs> All right. That does it for us. We'll catch you next time. See ya. Sign off. Uh, no, that's it. You just did it. Off. That was it. Yeah. That was the sign off? Yep. It's just going to be you saying sign off. <laughs>